0: The following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Good evening. If you'll turn with me now to the book of Galatians, we will continue on there this evening in Galatians, the fifth chapter. We have been walking through this epistle, this letter to the Galatians that Paul has written, and uh, we find ourselves now in Galatians chapter 5, and we'll be looking primarily this evening at verses 22 and 23, and uh, these verses, I hope, are familiar to you, and uh, perhaps you have committed to memory uh, verses 22 and perhaps the beginning of 23, if not the whole verse there. In this evening, my hope is to look at these uh, verses and help expound upon them as they've been written here and to see what we can learn from them this evening. But let's go to the the Lord first in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now as pastors prayed that uh, our time would be fruitful in the word and that uh, as we study this passage together, may you bring to light, Lord, through your spirit's power, through illumination to Give us the understanding that we need to both uh, understand what's being said as well as uh, to rely upon you to apply it to our lives that we might live by it. Bless, Lord, now the remaining of this time, and may you receive the honor and glory in these moments in your name. Amen. Now, last time we looked at Galatians, we looked at verses 16 uh, through 21, and let me read that now just for the sake of context so that we know where we're at in our text this evening, and where we're going to be in just a moment here. If you'll look with me then at Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, Paul writes there, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the, lu- for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, Drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, verses 19 through 22 stand in contrast to that of verses 22 and 23, which we're going to look at in just a moment verses 19 through 22 deal with the kind of behavior and actions done by those who are walking in the flesh. While verses 22 through 23 describe the kind of behavior behavior and actions and character exemplified by those who are walking in the spirit. We see a contrast here. Both the works of the flesh and the work of the spirit are obvious. They are evident And they are incredibly opposite to the other, the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit. And uh, verse 21 relays that the works of the flesh themselves uh, are only a reflection of a much deeper problem. In verse 21, a serious warning is given that those who practice such works of the flesh those people, such people, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we looked at verses like Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23, or chapter 18, verse 3. Also, Paul's similar warning to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, all which talk about the uh, kingdom of God and those who will not inherit it. Perhaps it could be said in another way about verse 21, that is... uh, Such people will not be saved because they are truly, have never truly been saved. Such people will not be saved because they are not saved. They practice such things, therefore the evidence that they are not truly saved, they do not have true saving faith. They are not born again Christians if such evidence can be marshaled against them. Ultimately, the Lord has judged the sincerity of faith or the lack thereof in these kind of people, and he knows those who are his. And therefore, I think Paul's concern here in this passage, particularly here, is not that the Galatians be examining the works of others in their faith, whether it be of the flesh or spirit, that is, their works, but that the Galatians be concerned for their own Christian character, that's Paul's primary concern here for the Galatians. Not that they judge others at this moment, whether or not they have true saving faith or not, but that they examine themselves to see whether or not they are in the faith first and whether they or not they are producing fruit of the Spirit. Remember, Paul tells them in verses 17 and 18 that they are in a spiritual battle. The believer is in a spiritual battle That is, the flesh and the spirit war against one another. A battle in which the believer is 100% reliant upon the spirit's power to resist sinning. That is, doing the works of the flesh. And this divine ability to resist sin is something that only a born-again believer has since unbelievers do not have the Spirit of God in them, guiding and directing them to be holy. Only the the man, the person who has the Spirit of God within them can resist sinning in such a way because only the believer has God's Spirit within them to guide them and direct them into holiness. One, uh, One theologian said this, about the matter. He says, the growth of spiritual fruit within us, that is in referring to verse 22 and verse 23 now, the growth of spiritual fruit within us is evidence of God's transforming power in a believer's life, not the result of effort that we expend. As we apply our hearts and minds to the means of grace he has designed, such as through Bible study and prayer, we gradually and continually grow in godliness. That is, we produce fruit of the spirit so we are reliant upon the spirit upon the spirit of god not only to resist sin but also that we produce holiness in our lives as well we are reliant upon him to produce godliness and holiness to grow our love and our affection for christ and the things of christ it's not our own energy that we expend but our reliance upon his transforming power and our obedience to his guidance and his direction. So then, let's look at verse 22 and 23 with that preface and understand here what Paul is talking about. Paul writes here in verse 22 of Galatians chapter 5, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, or some translations might have patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. Now, first, we need to understand the meaning of fruit. What is the meaning of fruit here? How is this term being used in this context? What does he mean by the term fruit? Well, fruit obviously has a literal sense in which it's used in the scripture. Think back to the beginning of Genesis when Eve ate of the fruit. It was not some metaphorical kind of fruit. She took the fruit. She in her hand and she ate of it and gave it to her husband and he ate Adam ate but fruit also has a figurative sense as well it can be used as a metaphor and and this is the case here in verse 22 in the new testament fruit is used in many cases as a metaphor to spiritual growth and its the effects of spiritual growth on the character of the believer so it can be a metaphor for spiritual growth and the effects of spiritual growth on the character of the believer. And scripture often talks about this kind of New Testament metaphor of fruit. And let's turn with me, if you would, to a few passages that uh, expound upon this idea of spiritual fruit. And you, uh, if you would, turn with me or you can listen in as I read. We're going to turn to a number of passages. So perhaps it might be best for you just to listen as I read these verses. But you're welcome to turn as well if you'd like. But turn with me first, if you would, if, or if you want to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Here in verse 1, the author writes I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So here the idea here is a spiritual metaphor for fruit and uh, the idea of growth in uh, those people or persons that are not bearing fruit and uh, in which he prunes. And therefore we see here an analogy that's not talking that of literal fruit, but of metaphorical fruit, spiritual fruit that is. There's other verses that talk about this idea of spiritual fruit as well. And uh, you may turn with me, if you'd like, to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 13. Paul here writes, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also just as among the other Gentiles the fruit here that Paul is speaking of is the fruit of of the work that he could do if he were there that is that some might come to salvation that of course would be fruit uh, that would be that would be born there out of the work of Paul of course then those people could perhaps and hopefully go on to bear fruit of their own so we see here the multiplication of fruit and Again, referring to the spiritual kind of fruit that could be had if Paul was able to be among them and there with them to teach them and to exhort them for their own spiritual edification. There's also other uh, instances that the New Testament talks about spiritual fruit. Another would be in uh, James chapter three, verse 18. Hebrews, sorry. James chapter 3 James chapter 3 verse 18 here it says now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace here we see another analogy of the kind of spiritual fruit that is expected for those who are walking in Christ and uh the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So there, here we see fruit multiplying into more fruit. That is, those who sow uh, in peace produce fruit of righteousness, righteousness in themselves and righteousness in others as they make peace. And finally, if you would turn with me to Hebrews, if you'd like, to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. Here the author writes, now, chasten, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. No one, I think, enjoys the chastening at the time. It has to take some place in our lives. The author even explains that or or expounds upon that idea, that no chastening seems to be joyful. But what is the result of that chastening? Well, here the author says, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Here we see that those who are chastened by God will then there end up bearing more fruit, more fruit, they bearing more fruit than they could have had they not been chastened by God through this circumstance, whatever it may be. And therefore, they have uh, grown spiritually, that is, and come to understand what God desires of them by His chastening. All that said, and all these verses looked at, there's others that could be mentioned as well. Perhaps at some point you could turn to uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 17, which talks about fruit related to giving. Or Romans chapter 6, verse 22, fruit of holiness. Uh, John chapter 15, verses 5, 7, and 8, which talks about fruit as related to prayer or Romans chapter 7, verse 4, having to do with fruit, uh, bearing fruit to God. All these verses, again, have to do with the meaning of fruit or the metaphor of fruit that we've been talking about as a spiritual growth. Paul is using the analogy of fruit here to speak about the spiritual growth and its effects on the character of the believer. That is to say, those who bear fruit, spiritual fruit that it is, uh, are exemplifying that they have the Spirit of God within them and that they are submitted and to his guidance and to his direction. And that's the point Paul is making back here in Galatians chapter 5. So if you would turn back there with me as we continue to look at this text here. You may observe too that in verse 22 of Galatians chapter 5 Paul uses the term fruit not only to refer to the spiritual growth that's expected in the life of the believer but also he uses it in a in a singular fashion or in a singular way. He doesn't say but the fruits of the spirit but rather he says simply the fruit, singular. The fruit the spirit's fruit is a of a singular nature in the sense that he always produces people that have all of these character traits. It's not as if he produces uh, gentleness in some, love in others, self-control in someone else and perhaps gentleness in, in yourself or kindness. It is the work of the spirit. It is the spirit's work to constantly produce all of these fruits in each of our lives. Some may show themselves sooner than others, but we are never to become satisfied in only, if I could say, a slice or a sliver of the fruit produced by the Spirit. It is expected that all of these things will begin to blossom and to, to show themselves in our character and in our life and we should not be passive, thinking that uh, that this is such as only our personality, that we're not patient or that we're not loving or gentle or we lack in self-control. Rather, we must understand that this is an area in which God is desiring our, our growth and desiring that the Spirit work in us to produce all of these things in each one of us. So let's look at a few of these and understand exactly what they are or how we should understand each of these uh, fruits of the Spirit. And Paul's list here is is not an exhaustive list. This list that is speaking about the fruit produced by the Spirit is not an exhaustive list, list, just as the kinds of sins described in the prior verses are not the only kinds of sins that can be committed. There is much more grievous sins that we could commit and that we have committed in addition to those mentioned in 19 through 21. But there is also much and many more fruit uh, that can be produced in the character in the life of the Christian besides those those mentioned here in verse 22 and verses 23. First, though, in the list, Paul speaks about that the fruit of the spirit is love. What is love? I think we can understand love to be distinctively the kind of Christian love here, not the kind of love that's personified or spoken about or defined by the world. This here, this love is distinctively the kind of Christian love that is self-sacrificing. It is a self-sacrificing love which is concerned with the needs of others instead of oneself. It's not self-consumed self-desiring, but it is selfless. It is looking upon the needs of others, of course, perfectly exemplified in the life of Christ as he came to die for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us, exemplifying the perfect kind of love that we are to show and demonstrate towards others. Paul also speaks about not only the fruit of the Spirit that is love, but also joy. What is joy? It is a supernatural gladness in God. A supernatural gladness in God, it's not based on our circumstances. We can face very difficult and hard circumstances with joy. It's not primarily or merely based on the circumstances around us. It's not conditional, a conditional kind of joy or happiness. It's a supernatural gladness, as we said, in God that, that demonstrates itself and is exemplified no matter what the circumstance is that you're going through. Thirdly in this list is not only love, joy, but also peace. And this can be understood as harmony or tranquility. It is ultimately based objectively on one's relationship to God. We have peace With God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, that kind of peace we understand to be the peace that uh, helps us and gives us a great sense of uh, joy because we know that we are not to face God's wrath ultimately, but rather that uh, we have uh, the righteousness of Christ that will pardon. Uh, our sin that has pardoned our sin and that will not cause us to have to face God's wrath. Therefore, we have an inner peace with God. Of course, although that peace is objective in one sense, it does and should pass into our feelings when God is trusted in a difficult time. Peace is not just in an objective sense in which we have the peace with God and our salvation, but it also passes into our feelings So that whatever the circumstance we go through, we know that first most we have our salvation. We have that relationship with God. And therefore, no matter the situation, we can have peace. We know that God uh, is in control and we know that our life is ultimately in his hands. So we've looked at love, joy, peace, and the list continues on. Fourthly, it says uh, in this list, long suffering or patience. Is another word to describe uh, to define long suffering, and the word uh, is a compound in the Greek that is long suffering is meaning long of anger or long lasting before anger. God is patient with us. His he is long lasting. He is patient with us before he is angry. We probably most experienced this before we were saved, in which God was patient with us while we were yet without Christ, without his forgiveness, until the time came in which he called us to salvation and we heard and we believed the gospel and placed our faith and trust in Christ alone. Patience also can mean steadfastness, endurance or forbearance, being slow to get hot under the collar or avenge or against uh, what we perceive to be a wrong. Christ has shown, and God himself has shown, great measures of patience towards us, and therefore we are to show the same kind of immeasurable patience towards one another. The list goes on, though. Not only patience, but also Kindness. Perhaps we could combine kindness and goodness. These words seem to be closely related, meaning generosity or uprightness, doing what is right. That, of course, is the calling of the believer to be upright in his character and his behavior, to follow after the footsteps of Christ in, in doing so. And it is the calling of the believer to show kindness, that kind of generosity towards others. Towards them to be long-suffering and patient towards them. Perhaps uh, we could even look at Galatians chapter six verse one, when Paul exhorts the believers. Then he says, "Brother, and if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a such a one in a spirit of what? Of gentleness. When we see a brother fall into sin, we must understand that we too ourselves are." sinful human beings and uh, not condemn them but help to restore them in gentleness and kindness in goodness towards them we also see in this list as well not only kindness and goodness but also faithfulness and this virtue goes beyond the saving faith which is a prerequisite to all of these virtues Here we are talking about reliability or loyalty or commitment. It means you will do what you say you will do. You'll be faithful to your word. Faithful to the Lord and to your calling as a believer. We find this characteristic in God and in his promises that God is faithful to his promises. We see perhaps best exemplified in the Old Testament of God's faithfulness to the nation of Israel Not only being patient and long-suffering with them, but also faithful to his covenant with them and his promises to bless them if they they, uh, followed after him in obedience. Of course, knowing that, knowing those kind of principles, the idea of God's faithfulness, his character, that is, this should cause us to be able to place our full confidence in him. And in his faithfulness, and therefore it should cause within us a desire, a burning to be faithful to him and to his word and to others as well. To the body of Christ, of course. We've looked at love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Second to last year is gentleness, and this is humility or courtesy or considerateness. First Corinthians chapter four, maybe just turn with me there for a moment, if you would. Gives us an example of this virtue in action. First Corinthians chapter four, verse. Verse 18, I'll begin there. Paul writes, now, some of you, some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. And I will ne- know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the word, excuse me, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in a word, but in power. Verse 21, Paul then asked them, what do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? This verse here shows uh, it is opposite of coming with a rod. That is coming, maybe perhaps we say with a stick but rather to come in a a spirit of gentleness that does not mean not correcting the issue or avoiding the issue altogether, but coming with with a spirit of gentleness, lovingly correcting where correcting needs done and exhorting and rebuking, but not lording over them. Finally we see in verse 23 the last of the virtues here or that of the fruit produced by the spirit not only gentleness but self-control sometimes perhaps or we call this temperance and uh there's scripture verses that speak of the idea of uh controlling powers and we are exhorted in Ephesians chapter 5:18 to not hand over that control to alcohol or to other substances, but remain in charge of our behavior, our faculties, that is. And we are to be controlled, uh, not by the things of the flesh, but by his spirit. And be filled with the spirit. And walk in the spirit, as these verses here in Galatians chapter 5 tell us to do. It should be inherent in our being as a Christian to be self-controlled, of course, perhaps we could see the conundrum or the, or the parallel here. The fact is, though we are self-controlled, we are ultimately relying upon the Spirit's power to be controlled. To, or I should say, to practice that self-control. The only ability that we have to be self-controlled is through the Spirit's power. To walk in Him and to walk in, in the, in the, walk in the Spirit. Look with me finally as we close here at Second Peter chapter 1 as we consider that idea. Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one in verse 5, He writes, but also for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Here we see the progression of the ideas of what should be added to our Christian life. And in the middle of these, we see self-control, which lends itself, or we could say, to perseverance and that to godliness. Here we see the idea that it is inherent in the being of a Christian that they be self-controlled which leads ultimately to godliness and to assuring us of our call to Christ that we may know after self-examination that we truly are a true saved individual. Finally, in verse 23, the end of verse 23 back in Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes these words, Against such there is no law. You may think it ironic that the situation that Paul is addressing here to the Galatians is one that they believe that they need to be regimented to the law, obeying the law for salvation. And that it is by their own self-merit and self-strength that they can accomplish these things and not only be saved, but also sanctified by self. And in their minds, uh, every part of the law was controlling their behavior. They're trying to fulfill it to perfection, but they could not do that. That's Paul's point. The law is not a means of salvation. And here Paul writes, against such things, or against such there is no law. That is referring to all of these things, all of these fruit that are produced by the Spirit, none of these things there is a law against. It would kind of be silly to think that there could be a law against loving others, (laughs) against being self-controlled, or gentle, or Faithful, there is no such law against those things. But rather, it is expected that we obey them and that we do these things and that we exemplify them in our Christian character and our behavior. It is expected that as we walk in the Spirit, the Spirit will then produce within us love and joy and peace and patience as we said earlier, it's not as if it is solely a, an expenditure of our energy to produce these things. We are 100% upon reliant upon the Spirit of God to help us produce these fruit. As we said earlier, we are reliant upon him to not only resist the sin nature that remains within us, but we are also rely upon him to produce holiness and godliness within us. And the Spirit does this by means of God's grace, that is, his word, and through prayer to develop these kind of characteristics, the characteristics that are exemplified in the life of Christ. And the good news is, if we are truly believers, we have the Spirit of God in us, and he wants to produce produce in us the kind of character we have discussed here just now. The Spirit wants to lead us along. We see this in chapter or verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not not under the law. And if we follow, as verse 25 says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So if we are, allow ourselves to be led, as we are as believers, and if we follow, then he will do his work. He will produce such fruit in our lives. And there, then and therefore, it will exemplify that we truly are born of the Spirit. Let's pray this evening as we close. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time now in your word. Lord, we pray as we go our ways this evening that we would examine ourselves. Lord, that we would consider whether or not we are walking in the Spirit, allowing him to guide and direct us, or whether or not we are succumbing to the flesh and allowing the flesh to... Uh, affect our behavior because we are walking in sin. Lord, help us help that not to be the case in each of our lives this evening, but allow, Lord, we pray that we would allow the Spirit to lead us and to produce in us the kind of fruit that is uh, a reflection of a love for you and a true relationship with the Father. Help us, Lord, in this area. May we be willing and wanting and desiring and obedient to your direction. We ask all of this in your name. Amen.